Hey, Daniel, Jason of the Bandits Brigade here. Just calling to let you know I just started listening to your latest episode, and my podcast player was set to a higher speed than normal, so it was, you know, you were going faster than normal speed. And I thought you said you were sitting on your porch in your Speedos and you didn't know why. So when I rewound it and put it down to normal speed, I heard you talk about mosquitoes. So I, I, I guess mosquitoes is better than sitting on your porch in Speedos. I don't know. Either way, let me go back and listen to the rest of the episode. Hey, welcome to Bandits Keep. I'm Daniel, and in this episode, we are going to have some calls from Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast, Joe from Hindsightless, and BJ from the Arcane Alienist. My esteemed callers will highlight the fact that I am very inconsistent and often change my mind and don't make any sense. But, hey, you know what? My mom thinks I'm all right, so. (laughs) And at the end, I will talk a little bit about maybe why that is uh, the case and what I think about RPGs in general and all that goodness. So let's get to it, Jason. So, Daniel, I agree with you. I like the three alignment system. I can handle the five. I think the nine is too much. I actually like the palladium alignment system where, you know, neutrals replaced with selfish in degrees of selfishness. I I really like palladiums. Um, But I I hear what you're saying with the character generation. I, I think the thing is with the cyberpunk character generation, you had the choice... And we can go back and change it. Nothing's locked in stone until we start the game, and even then we could play with it, right? But if you want to go back and edit your character's history, you definitely can. And in Cyberpunk Character Generation, you have the choice. You can roll randomly on the tables, or you can pick on the tables. Or if you don't want that those background stuff, you don't necessarily have to even do it. And just because we created all that doesn't mean it's ever going to matter in the game or come in effect in the game. I guess the problem is... What what I hear you saying is you don't want to step in and play an established character. You don't want to step in and you, like take any TV show or movie character that's really developed. You don't want to step in and play Captain America in this game. Or you don't want to play Spider-Man. Or you don't want to play James Bond with all the baggage those things bring with them, right? The good and the bad and the history and... You don't want to be locked down to 30 years of continuity with a character, right? I, that's what I'm hearing you say. And and it doesn't have to be that way. And in fact, we, we probably need to all have a powwow about the cyberpunk thing because I've, I've been thinking about... But, but it's going to be a little bit... It's going to be loosey-goosey. It's not going to be where you're going to be held to every little thing we rolled up and it's all going to come up during the game because we're only playing a handful of sessions. I guess the other thing with cyberpunk is they provided a number of points, but everything between those points is open and how to interpret those points is totally up to you. So you still have a ton of leeway in making that character and deciding how to interpret all those things. Basically, the way we made the cyberpunk character, it's like you're going through the tarot deck and you're placing cards down and now you're going to interpret what these cards mean. And that's what you guys do with your background. I mean, it's up to you how you put it all together in a coherent story. But again, if there are things in your background you don't want to use or you're not interested in, then don't. You don't have to. I I feel that I've created a moral quandary for you, Daniel, and I feel bad about that. 
I'm not going to lose any sleep over it, but I feel a little bit bad. Okay, I'm over it. I'm not, I don't feel bad anymore. But, but I definitely think maybe it's something we need to talk about. Still, in the end, although I like Cyberpunk's character creation, I like things like Traveler, I like Life Paths and all, I think they're interesting and can help you create a, a more detailed character with a detailed background. I kind of like those prompts. I am perfectly fine doing an emergent background where you don't know anything. You show up as, you know, Biff the Fighter, Biff being a nickname, and and then his real name and his background all just comes out during the game. I'm okay with that kind of game too. So, you know, you know. In the end, I'm a social gamer, so I don't get as tied down to it as it sounds. You are, but I think when you play the game, I, I think you're going to see it's not going to really matter. You're still going to have total control control your PC, you still have um, player agency, and you can still play your personality however you want. I mean, you're not locked into anything. Oh, well, let me listen to the rest of the show. All right, let me start by saying that I just want to make it clear that this isn't anything to do with the, this particular cyberpunk game. I'm, maybe more, I'm making more of just like a, a general statement about what I think I like. And what's interesting is that, uh, and I, if it wasn't clear in the last uh, time I talked about this, that... I thought I would like it. Like I watched Seth Grukowski, uh go through the Traveler uh, character generation, and you know they they roll in the different backgrounds and what they went through at the different stages of their life, and I was like, this is super cool. But then when we did it, I was like, okay. And, and, and again, when we did it, just I was like, this is awesome. I was having fun. If it wasn't clear, I was having a really good time creating the character with you. At no time was I like, oh, really? We have to roll this. I was very excited to do it. But then when I sat back and looked at it, I said. This character does nothing for me. And and again, I don't care. My stats are through the roof. So for Joe out there, <laughs> I have amazing stats. I will kick ass. I am fully optimized. Min-maxed. I'm not even min. I'm maxed to the death. But eh, I don't care about that stuff. I care that like right now I feel locked into playing a character that now I have to... We haven't started playing yet. And... Already, I'm already like, okay, no, I got to make sure that I do this because I have this in my background. And I got to make sure I do it this way. I have to make sure I do it that way. And it's it's almost like a stress that I don't want to have, which is almost like, uh, I know there's some, uh, Arlen just had an episode where he was talking about the idea of like uh, uh, RPGs like kind of feeling like an obligation. Like now I feel obligated to play that role. So much like you're saying, I don't want to, I don't want to play Captain America because I don't want to feel obligated to play Captain America. I don't necessarily want to play any character that has that much going on before I sit down at the table and just engulf that character. Once I step into the shoes of the character and I see how it feels, I slip on her, you know, high-heeled boots and I prance down the street or strut possibly, you know, whether I prance or strut really depends on the day. And as we enter those first scenes, my character will begin to evolve. It's almost like when the, the this game session starts off, she's like a very loose black and white drawing and as we start to walk through the world and as she starts to interact with things throughout the first uh, session, she'll get shape and form. She'll get color. And then next thing you know, I've got a fleshed out character that I feel happy with because I know they suit the world and how I'm reflected off the world. If my character is something that I have pre-generated in my mind and I step into this world and the world's not what I think works for my character, it's just not going to be as fun for me. And I, I think that's basically where I am as far as character generation and ideas. I like the most basic character generation. There was a, a game that I played at GaryCon a few years back where the character generation was literally you wrote down three things about your character. Three like loose statements. 
And that was one of the most fun games, right? Because it, we just wrote down something very generic, like I'm a pilot, like not I pilot the SX-75 to, to the, it was like very generic statements that we could then turn into something as we were playing. And that's the kind of game I like. I mean, you know, hey, I know what I like. What can I say? Still, in the end, although I like Cyberpunk's character creation, I like things like Traveler, I like life paths and all, I think they're interesting and can help you create a, a more detailed character with a detailed background. I kind of like those prompts. I am perfectly fine doing an emergent background where you don't know anything. You show up as, you know, Biff the Fighter, Biff being a nickname, and, and then his real name and his background all just comes out during the game. I'm okay with that kind of game too. So, you know, you know I, in the end, I'm a social gamer, so I don't get as tied down to it as it sounds you are. But I think when you play the game, I, I think you're going to see it's not going to really matter. You're still going to have total control of your PC. You still have um, player agency, and you can still play your personality however you want. I mean, you're not locked into anything. Oh, well, let me listen to the rest of the show. Daniel, I'm just starting your episode, but I had a call because I'm so very, very confused. You're talking about how you don't like rolling up random backgrounds and you don't think it's a good thing, yet you're often promoting rolling random stats. And you're talking about how you don't want to play a character that you don't want to play. I get that. But so then you should be for just putting stats wherever you want. Because say, for example, I want to play a really smart, really strong really enduring character. I want to put 18s in my strength, my con, and my intelligence. I should be able to do that, right? Because that's the character I want to play and I shouldn't have to roll it randomly. I don't think rolling backgrounds like that is a crutch for new players. I think it's actually a challenge and an exercise and a sign of a good role player to be able to take what you get and make it into something you want. Just like people talk about that's what you're supposed to do when you roll random stats, right? There's a very... (laughs) They're the same thing. Peace out. Okay, now, (laughs) let me describe why this is different. First of all, number one, you are, uh, and possibly I haven't been clear, I'll put the blame on me because you surely will. (laughs) Um, I am in no way saying that you should always roll random stats. In fact, I, when I run 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons, which is the really the only game that I run that stats matter that much, I always go with the stat array. Because I have come to realize that it is important for the player characters to have high stats in the areas in which they specialize in, because that is how the game is played. I never, ever, ever said that was a thing. Now, those are not my favorite types of games. My favorite types of games are ones where that stuff doesn't matter that much. Also, there's a big difference between losing your arm, having a boyfriend that hates you, um, you know, being from a certain family, uh, all these things, and having different stats than you might love. Um, the difference is that if I roll a 14 in my wisdom and everything else is lower, I can play a cleric and have a high stat if that's what I want to do. But if I roll a character that lost an arm, I can't put my arm somewhere else, or I don't even know how, I'm not sure how that's even connected. It's just a completely different thing. But, uh, you know, hey, you know what? I like what I like. What can I say? Uh, I, I don't like to have, and I think part of the problem, maybe I wasn't very clear, but I'll be clear again, is that it's not that I don't like that it's random. 
I don't like that I'm sitting down. It's actually the same thing I've been saying, which is I don't like sitting down at the table with kind of a preset character that I have to play a certain way. And that's what you get when you play in systems where stats are super important, so you need to place them in a certain place. And that's what you get when player skill is less important than rolling. And that's what you get when you randomly roll up a background that affects you in a strong way. If I randomly rolled up a background that said I was a pirate, and that was the whole background, that's cool. There's a million things I can do with I'm a pirate. My arm being cut off, being an orphan, living on the street, having somebody hate me, uh, have being in trouble with the government, that is all very specific things that I, while I can make up the details, it still puts my character in a very, very particular place that I may or may not want to be in. Now, whether or not you think that makes a good role player or not, I mean, honestly, I don't really care because I don't care what you think is a good role player. So, you know, I don't, it's a game. I want to enjoy the game. I don't want to be forced to do a certain thing and be like, well, you know, if you want to be a good role player, you better do this. It's like, I, I, I want to do what I want to do. It's a game in the end, right? So, yeah. And I know you mean it all in good fun, by the way, but, but still, you know, honestly, the whole, you're a good role player because you can roll any character. I think that's BS. You're a good role player when you have a good time around the table with your friends and you don't screw everything up. And to me... Most of being good at the games is player skill, which is lost on the newer games where you have to roll for everything, typically. It's not completely lost because it depends on who's running the game, of course. Daniel, me again, dude. <laughs> Rolling a random background in no way gives you hard limits on anything, man. What happens in your character's background is what happens before Daniel takes over that character. Once Daniel takes over that character... And the game starts, maybe you decide, hey, I don't like this connection anymore. Oh, my boyfriend doesn't like me good. Even though it says this is the most important person in my life. Now it's not because now the game has started, right? <laughs> like, I, I <laughs> this just seems like so much of the opposite of what you normally talk about, man. I'm very confused by this one, dude. I respect the hell out of you, but this is this seems so out of character for you <laughs> pun intended peace out so i'm gonna disagree a little bit here I, I think that okay yes obviously it's a game we can do what we want right we can drop things out whatever but there's two points going on here number one is that why did i roll it all if i'm gonna do that right why did i just pick and number two is when i'm playing a game for the first time i really want to see what the designer had in mind for it you know, to me, I won't know if I like Cyberpunk 2020 unless I play it by the way it's written. And if it's written that you roll this random background and that sets you up, then that's what I'm going to do. Now, in play, if, let's say, Jason has this uh, this boyfriend, this ex-boyfriend that, uh, you know, is uh, mad at me or I can't remember what background is exactly, and, and they come at me and I shoot them in the face, well, you know, now they're off my list of problems, right? <laughs> I got a lot of problems, but that guy's not one, so... Uh, I, I don't think that's really uh, the same thing. And, and I do think, again, I think we have a, uh, a difference of opinion on certain things, including like the idea of like stats being part of role play. I get what you're saying, um, where like your stats would affect it on some level, but so much less so than I have a boyfriend, I lost an arm, you know, I, I had to sell it to the government. Those things have much more to do with how I role play a character than whether or not they're strong or weak. Um, because people don't always play to their strengths <laughs> and it can be really fun. I think that's also where I agree with Jason. It can be fun to play a not so wise or not so intelligent, I will say it, 
person and role play like you are, right? Because that 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 in itself could be fun, but to just disregard what I rolled, I just don't feel like that's what I would do in this game. I want to try to stay as true as possible to the uh, to the concepts of the game to see if I like the game. And if I do, if in the end I'm like, you know, this is great. I like that it pushed my limits, and now I I, I you know had to role play differently than I normally would. Maybe I will like that, but at this exact moment, my feeling is I would rather make up a very simple background for myself that's super loose, which I kind of did, which was I'm a exotic dancer, and you know that's all I need <laughs> to, to to build an entire character. I don't need all this other stuff, but you know, hey, let's see how it goes. I'm pretty excited to play. Yo, so apparently I am the resident researcher for Bandit's Keep, man, but. Uh, because the black hat kept getting brought up and you kept saying in every game you played in, you rolled the usage dice for arrows at the end of the encounter. Uh, I just wanted to call in and say, yes, that is indeed wrong. <laughs> That's not how the usage dice is used. So pardon me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read from the rules from the black hack from the PDF. Okay, here we go. I'm terrible at reading things aloud because I have to magnify shit so much. I only have like two words on the page at a time. Anyway. Quote, when that item is used, its usage die should be rolled, period. That's the end. So, yes, every time you shoot an arrow in combat in the black hack, you are supposed to roll the usage die. Thanks, Joe. I do appreciate your role as the researcher. Um, and wow, you have now fully 100% secured my position that that usage die is absolutely garbage. How is it more efficient to roll a die every single time you shoot an arrow than it is just to count the arrows? Wow. Again, I think the times we've talked about in the, in the past, uh, uh, Jason mentioned, I don't know if you did it here, if it was somewhere else, uh, tracking a disease, uh, maybe food for, for travel, uh, maybe automatic weapons, like with large like belts, like belt-fired automatic weapons. Mm, yeah, maybe. But uh, arrows, things that are small quantities, that just seems like a complete and total waste. Now, and also, how does it work with a torch? Do you light up a torch and then roll it? And if you roll the die that it's gone, then you actually don't have a torch? And if you do have a torch, does it last forever? All of this just doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, I know there's an answer to that, and I'm being sarcastic. But at the same time, it, what it seems to me is it's an extra mechanic that doesn't need to be added. And it is, it is probably the one mechanic that, like I said, I will stand on a hill and die for because I just I cannot see why it gets all the accolades that it does. I'm not saying it's completely useless. I'm just saying that it's treated like it's gold standard for OSR-type games. And the reason why is because supposedly it makes things simpler, but I just don't see how that's simpler. But no, I don't know. Maybe it is simpler. If somebody can explain to me why it is simpler, then maybe I would change my mind. But not not reasons that you might use it, but why is it simpler than just tracking? This is what I would like to know. So inquiring minds want to know. Thanks, Joe, though, for checking that out for me. Because, of course, I will never research anything. I will just stand here and give my opinion that is often completely uh, with no proper research or knowledge. And, you know, hey, that's how the Internet works. Hey, Daniel, Jason of the Bandits Brigade here again. I got interrupted, so that's why there's a break between these calls. Got to finally finish your episode. Really enjoy hearing your thoughts and explanations, you know, on why you you're, you think what you do and why you're wishy-washy on other things. So it's all good. 
Um, and, and to be fair, you're not really wishy-washy. You just have malleable opinions. But all in all, I got to say, I'm really looking forward to when you start talking about your stripped-down chainmail. Because I agree with you. When you think about it, it definitely could be the ultimate sword and sorcery game. So I'm very excited for that. Also, as far as Cyberpunk goes, don't worry about it. I'm, the tone I'm shooting for is techno-thriller, neo-noir, you know. Um, it, there's going to be more of a, a thriller than a straight-up combat, or it's not, and it's not going to be a grim-dark game. Well, I say that, I mean, a lot of that's going to depend on you guys, the players, too. I mean, if you try to get in combat all the time, then it'll be a combat game. But you, there'll be plenty of opportunities to avoid combat, to do make decisions, to, to accomplish your goals without fighting. Um, and it, it's only, and I'm not going to make it super oppressive and grimdark. The, the mood is about, like, your Blade Runner and um, Total Recall. This, you know, of course, there's only one Total Recall. It's the 1990 with Schwarzenegger in it. But that, that's kind of the, the tone I'm shooting for is like Total Recall. Total Recall more than Blade Runner. Arlen wants a little more Blade Runner, and, and I'll do what I can to do that. But to me, the tone for Cyberpunk is closer to The Running Man and Total Recall and, and, and that kind of thing. You know, there's still some humorous stuff in there. We're going to have fun. I, I'm not out to make you guys miserable. Well, that's cool. Yeah, I, I don't, uh, I don't expect to be miserable, <laughs> and no matter what, because you know, like you say, the players will bring the tone to the table. Um, yeah, it's it's really interesting, and I, I do often think, I mean, because you know, you make these podcasts, or you make these videos, or you make posts on things. It, it's without spending four hours explaining something, you're always going to. Well, I'm always going to sound like I don't really have a position, or that my position seems too extreme. But the reality is, is that. It really depends, right? At, at each game, at even at each campaign, you have to make certain decisions to play certain ways and do certain things. Sometimes you'll leave rules in. Sometimes you'll leave rules out. Sometimes you do things one way. Sometimes you do it another. And it kind of just depends, you know? Uh, I just feel like that if... And again, this is now I haven't actually played the game and I've only made one character. And I'm not talking about Cyberpunk particularly, but maybe just games that have this long character creation process that it was fun. Like in, in, in a sense, we were able to have an hour of fun together without even like playing the game, if you will, because we kind of were playing the game, right? We were playing the game of character creation and you, you do have certain systems that have this and that can be kind of fun. Like when I did my Coriolis campaign, we did an entire session. It was probably at least two hours where they made their characters and they made their ship and they talked about what was going to be on the ship and how they were going to deal with stuff and whatever. And that's a different part of playing the game. They weren't like role playing with each other. We weren't having combat, but it was just kind of like the building of the characters, the kind of the, the creation of the world, the working together to create that. And that is still fun and part of the game. So I think that that has its point uh, to me to be able to just play in Cyberpunk. Like I said, I played in one game once before. I was also an excited answer. I literally made my character in like, I don't know, two minutes because it was fate. I think it was fate. Yeah. It was like two, three minutes. It was like super fast. You write down basically a couple things about your character and where the fate does. I can't remember now. So I didn't particularly care for fate, but that's a whole other thing. In any case, um, what, I'm, what I'm saying here is that, yeah, I think we're going to have a great time. And, and whatever, if it's grimdark, it's grimdark. I just, it's not my, my thing usually, but uh I guess I'm just not cool enough to play that. It's all the cool guys that play the Grimdark, and they're, oh, I'm so Grimdark. Eh, it doesn't do anything for me. 
<laughs> but I'm also not really a horror person either. <sighs> I don't know. Maybe I maybe I should uh, retire from RPGs. No, because I'm going to create the ultimate sword and sorcery RPG with chainmail. <laughs> so, yeah, look forward to that. I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about it. I think, in, well, definitely in the next couple of days. I uh, I just get yeah, like every time I see all these um, messages, I want to get to them. And plus, I I, uh, I had done that other actual play. Anyways, um, on to the rest of the questions or questions messages. I guess I'm going to make one other point about the wishy-washy thing. And again, I'm not taking this as an insult, but I find that whenever people say that, I don't know, it's such a weird thing to me. Would would you really want to be around people that absolutely never change their mind? I mean, that those are zealots, no? Like, shouldn't we think something and then experience life and then possibly change that based on what we experience? Can't you say... Oh man, you know, I don't like uh, chocolate ice cream because I had some when I was younger and it was just gross and whatever. But then maybe a little bit later, say, you know, I'm going to try chocolate ice cream again. And now you get it from a different place. Or maybe your, your palate's changed a little bit. Now you love chocolate ice cream. And it's like, now chocolate's your favorite. And somebody who knew you a year before would be like, oh, you hate chocolate ice cream. You're so wishy-washy. But the reality is, is you just experienced different things that have now changed your mind. And that's the way I am. I just do it once every five minutes. So it gets a little bit faster. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a fast guy. I drink a lot of coffee. Hey, Daniel, just listening to the latest episode. Um, <laughs> I know you're, uh, you're a little, uh, obviously satirical kind of hyperbole about a mini game for archery. I, I know you were kind of making, probably poking fun at fifth edition and Watsy era D and D, but that was the most second edition AD and D description of a process I have ever heard. So, uh, I'm interested to see your final rule set for recovery and repair of arrows uh, and your other suite of archery rules when you, you get them written out. <laughs> Great episode. Take care. Talk to you later. Oh, yeah. No, I definitely agree with you. Uh, you know, I was a first edition person, and when I came back to playing, I wanted to try all the different editions, and I bought some second edition books, and we, I tried to run some second edition, and I immediately sold off most of the books. <laughs> Second edition got so bloated. I, like I don't. I mean, I imagine this is what happened to third edition as well, based on things I've heard. Although I never played third edition, uh, you know, it's just like the longer edition around, it feels like they just keep adding stuff to it. And I guess there was the wilderness survival guide and the dungeoneer survival guide in first edition, but those are really at the very end of first edition. And I had stopped playing by the time those came out. And I believe they may also have the you know the rules for measuring the arrow shaft to make sure that, you know, the distance based on, you know, the, the wind speed vectors. So yes, I'll work on my, my D six, six, six table now. Hey, wait a second. If you, um, if you pay Joe Richter to be your research department, does that mean you are the underwriter of Richter con 2020 X? Wow. This just gets to be more and more of a tangled mess, doesn't it? Well, you know what they say, you know, if you follow any companies uh, all the way to the top, essentially there's only like two mega corporations and they will eventually take over everything and the world will become cyberpunk 2021, I guess it is right now, cyberpunk 2021. All right then, thank you to uh, PJ and uh, Joe and uh, Jason for calling in. Um, you know, I know, I know BJ said that they thought I was probably you know, mocking what CD&D or later D&D or whatever, but I like to mock all different games because <laughs> I feel like no game is perfect. No game is perfect for how I want to play, 
no game is perfect for how anybody really wants to play, I think. I mean, the closest game to perfect for me is BX. But even in BX, I could find issues, you know, surprise, surprise. Uh, if I was going to run a long-term campaign, and when I did run long-term BX campaigns, I had house rules, you know. So I think that every game has its uh, benefits or its strengths, we'll say, and its weaknesses. And I do find that the longer an addition is around, to me anyways, and this is probably not, not, not saying anything new, the less interesting it becomes, you know, like you give me first edition player's handbook, dungeon master's guide, monster manual. I'm super happy. I don't need fiend folio. I don't need monster manual Two. I certainly don't need unearthed Arcana. I don't need, uh, you know, I don't need dungeoneer. I never had dungeoneers and wilderness survival guides. I don't need all that stuff. Right. I want a simple system. The more they add to a system, typically we get, as what everybody knows, power creep. We get all these things added on. So, as much as like second edition was probably fine when it first came out, and it, I mean honestly, by the time I got to spells and powers and all the other stuff, I mean I just I couldn't even. <laughs> you know, I I tried to play in the second edition. Anyways, my point being is that I think that happens in all editions, right? They start to add too many rules and too many things and too many things, and it's not. I mean, some people will blame greed and oh, it's the company just wants to sell books. But I think partially is people ask questions. I mean, that's the thing, right? It's like people will write in to, well, back in the day, would write in to, uh, to TSR, or they tweet now at, at Wizards of the Coast, and they ask all kinds of questions. And those questions are where, if they get enough of them, then they start thinking, thinking, hey, we probably should codify a rule here because people are asking. And I think one of the biggest problems with that, if there is a problem, is that as those things get, con the more those things get codified, the more the game becomes strict and rigid and clunky in my mind. The idea that you can quickly make a ruling, and I know not everybody likes that, but the idea that you can quickly make a ruling in the simpler systems makes them run, in my opinion, smoother as long as you have trust at the table and everybody is playing, and I'll use the word fair for lack of a better word. Now, could there be people abusing those things as has been conversations before? Sure. But again, I don't think as Rob over at uh, or Mignon uh, over at uh, Weetimers Bushi, uh, Confessions of Weetimers Bushi says, you know, it's like you, there's no way to get rid of that with rules. Rules will never eliminate that. That's a social thing. Um, kind of, you know, <laughs> it's not I'm not quoting him exactly, but it's more of a social thing. You can't rule away people being jerks, right? I mean, you've got to try to play with people that are going to be fair, and you've got to have conversations with your group and these kind of things. So. In my opinion, I think any of the games are fine. I think if you were to grab the player, the, the first player's handbook, uh, Dungeon Master's Guide, and player in Monster Manual from any of the editions of D&D, they're probably all pretty good. I think that as you start to add on player handbook two, player handbook three, uh, you know, this guide of this, this guide of that, that's when the games start to get clunkier and clunkier and clunkier. And this is even from the beginning. Like I'm when I'm playing my OD&D game, I don't even use Greyhawk. You know, Greyhawk is pretty good. I mean, I looked at it. There's a lot of good stuff in it. There's some monsters in there that, that I occasionally want to pull. But I don't need, you know, variable weapon damage, variable monster damage. I don't need, I know it's going to be terrible to hear this coming from me, but I don't need the thief class. You know, I don't need a paladin. I don't need half elves. You know, I can add them to my game if I want, but they're not a necessary part of my game. And the more stuff I add, the more confusing, the more complicated, the more stuff you put into the game just the clunkier it becomes in my opinion. So I like a game to be stripped down 
and simple. And that is why I'm kind of rolling back to, to ODND and Chainmail at this point, you know. Uh, you know, if again, if the, the the if you had to just take an RPG which you could carry in your hands, you know, I, I, definitely Five E would not be the game I'd grab. But nor would First Edition Dungeons and Dragons, to be honest with you. I'd be much more likely to take. Well, I've this before. I'd be much more likely to take Astonishing Tours against Sorcerer Hyperborea than I would either one of those games. Um, but I, I would take BX in a heartbeat. You know, I'd take ODD in a heartbeat. I, I would take White Box, you know, if I was going to do a retro clone or Swords and Wizardry. These games are all simplified and stripped down versions that I think, to me, anyways, represent the core of a game that then each individual person, dungeon master, campaign, however you want to say it, can build on to create their own game. And to me, that is the fun of RPGs. Not following strict rules and, and rigid guidelines that are put up in front of you. In the end, having a more simple uh, game that can be manipulated. So, you know, if you want to have player backgrounds that you roll for, cool. If you want to make up your own background, cool. If you want to have no backgrounds, cool right it all works as long as your table's down as long as it, it, the whole thing is there i mean it's all good i'm, I'm just about willing to jump into almost any game i i tend to stay away from call of cthulhu uh because i don't really like it um sorry andy but i do play an Andy's game because andy is amazing um but otherwise i stay away from call of cthulhu i don't like the game the books are okay you know lovecraft he's all right i take clark ashen smith over lovecraft any day and Howard over either one. Burroughs, I take Burroughs over Lovecraft, or maybe not over the other two. But anyways, of those like classic writers that, that kind of inspired a lot of this stuff. It, Lovecraft is certainly not the highest on my list. I'm sure I'm going to get some flack from that. But you know, whatever. Lovecraft was a trendy one. You know, but but in my opinion, those Call of Cthulhu is just not that interesting of a game. Although I did just play Cthulhu Dark, which was very interesting, and maybe I'll talk about that in the next podcast, because now I am rambling for some reason. So thanks, everybody, for calling, and I will talk to you all soon.